have been in a series called The Heart of Worship this summer, and we've been plumbing the depths of the heart of God and just trying to see this complexity of, of who God is and, and, and so we can just worship Him in truth and spirit. And we've looked at these psalms, these inspired poems, and we've, we've, we've seen that as we've, we've explored the different genres, the, the laments, the imprecatory psalms, the psalms of praise, that somehow they, they bridge time, space, and matter, and it brings us to this new place. And things have gotten a little more complicated because they're not so black and white as we go and we see God for how he has revealed himself. Yet it's very clear as we've been on this journey this summer that the cross of Christ is the pinnacle of the heart of God. Now, there's a picture. Liam? There you go. All right. This picture is, is taken from an outpost on the Syrian border in Iraq around the 2005 time frame called Camp Gannon. Camp Gannon was a, a camp in a city called Huseba. Huseba was a hotbed. It was um, Fallujah's little brother. And after the fall of Fallujah, this became the major hotbed. And in the middle of this city was this, was this outpost named after a fallen Marine, a captain, Captain Gannon. And it was ran by a company of Marines who were reinforced with some other units. And this was just, around the 2005 time frame, my reconnaissance platoon was tasked to go and um, help out the effort in Huseba. And everywhere we went, it seemed like there was danger. And everywhere we went, every piece of trash that we saw, we thought it might be an IED. And there was this anxiety and this fear. And then all of a sudden, out of the middle of this town, we see a bunch of sandbags and Marines. And we see Camp Gannon. And there was this refuge that we saw. I, I, sandbags never looked so good. And last month, we looked at Psalm 22, and we ended the service, and I asked you to put down a concern, something that you wanted to cast at the foot of the cross of Christ, and just cast it out. And you did, and, and you wrote it down, and you, people came up, and they put it at the foot of the cross. And as I prayed through those things during this last month, the one theme that kept coming around was that we are very fearful and anxious people. I saw that request numerous times. God, remove the fear that I have of this. God, I am so anxious because of this. And it makes sense, especially at this time, as, as fall ramps back up. Kids are going to school, or, or kids that are in college are going away, and we've had such a great time. We spent family time on our vacations, or, or things are going back to the way they were, and we feel this. Football practices and, and practices of all sort are coming back and timelines and time is just being crunched and, and we've lost some people this summer and we don't know how life is going to look like without them. And so we, some of us are in mourning. Things are changing and there's this fear and anxiety all around us. And we may not be in a war, but it sure feels like life is a battle and we need to seek refuge. And as Christians, we worship God when we take refuge in Him. The title of today's message is, The Cross 
Center Refuge. And if you're not there, go ahead and turn to Psalm 91. Psalm 91 is a psalm of praise, and it's, a, it's also a psalm of trust. And the author is unknown, but what you'll see is somewhat attributed to David, so that's kind of the default. Like, I don't know who wrote this. Maybe it was probably David. But really nobody knows who wrote it. And when we look at this psalm, we see that it presents numerous amounts of threats to people and threats that would cause anxiety and fear. But then we see that within the psalm, God's ability to be our refuge is highlighted here. And I think that seeking refuge is a concept that any person understands. When I mean, we all seek a sense of self-preservation, right? We get that self, sense of self-preservation. And we get it in Christian circles, in the, in the family of God. We get the fact that God is supposed to be our refuge. But I think practically we don't know what that means. We get it with our minds because the Bible tells us and we're told, trust God and seek refuge in Him. But we're like, but what? How? Because I'm anxious and I'm fearful. So how does this look like? So today what I want to do is I want to look at Psalm 91, but I really just want to focus on verses 1 and 2. And I'm going to bring other aspects of the psalm in, but I want to discover three ways, three practical ways that we could take refuge in God. So let us pray and ask God to bless our time. Father, we bless you and we entreat you by the power of your Holy Spirit to teach us the things that we do not know. Open the eyes of our hearts and speak to the inner chambers of our hearts the inner chamber where we have stuffed these fears, these anxieties. Speak to us now. Fill us. We pray. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing we see is a part of worship dwells in the continual presence of God. Verse 1 says, Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High. This word dwells means to inhabit. And it really has a temple imagery. And, and to them, it would have been, I am seeking God, so I'm going to inhabit the temple. And I would actually go to the temple. And so we see a, a heart of worship inhabits the presence of God. Just like as my reconnaissance platoon came and we saw Camp Gannon, it wasn't just enough to say, well, that's a good refuge. We had to inhabit the refuge to be safe. We had to inhabit the outpost, the camp. So the question is, is how do we inhabit the presence of God? And the first thing is, we must have a proper view of God. God must stop being small in our eyes and in our lives. And the fact is, we often give the circumstances of our lives and the people of our lives, the, the throne of their heart, our hearts, where only God is supposed to reign. And as God shrinks, we become practical atheists. Yeah, we believe God and we proclaim God, but in our lives we are acting as if He does not exist because He's become small in our lives. And the result of that is the fear and anxiety of life just take, take over. And in Psalm 91, we're given multiple names of God to recalibrate and give us a bigger vision of who, he's, who He is. We see that He is called the Most High, Elion, exalted with authority, the one with ultimate authority. We see that He is the Almighty, El Shaddai, the one who is, has absolute power over everything. We read, He is the Lord, Yahweh, the great I Am. 
we see that he is my God, Elohim, the one who rules the universe and deserves worship, not just worship from me, but from everyone. So we have to have a bigger view of who God is. We also must seek sacred shelter. The idea of shelter here is a place suitable for hiding oneself. And for the psalmist, it would have possibly been the temple, the physical temple. But we see that the whole universe is God's temple. And as people of God, we are his temple. We are living bricks of his temple. And so what does this mean to us? It means every space that we're at has the potential to be sacred space where we could inhabit and dwell with God. When I used to have a long commute... In California, it was about an hour to an hour and a half, depending on traffic, each way. And my sacred shelter was my car. And I would be praying. And people thought I was crazy. Matter of fact, I would look now and then when I would just be talking to God, and I would look over to the right, and a person would be looking at me like, what are you doing, man? And that was my sacred shelter. My sacred shelter is also right now is, 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 is sitting on my back porch sitting on my back porch and listening to the winds and interacting with God as he, as he sways the, the trees back and forth and just inhabiting, dwelling in his presence. Anywhere we're at could be sacred shelter. That could be your office. That could be at home. That could be wherever. Because God is everywhere and his temple is the universe and we are his temple, the living bricks of the Holy One. But we also must access sacred shelter. Every shelter has a key to grant access. And for us, the key is the cross of Jesus Christ. John 1, 14 says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And when Christ dwelt among us, heaven and earth came crashing together, granting us full access through faith, to the peace, the shalom of God. And he is still dwelling in us through the power of his Holy Spirit. And so we have the access, shelter of God, the peace, the shalom, the wholeness, anywhere we're at. But what does this dwelling in God's presence look like, Brian? Give me something tangible. We need to slow down. We need to slow down. Fall's coming up, and I already know. You're like, this is my schedule. How are we going to make this happen? And we use busyness as a badge of honor in our society. I am so busy. And instead of being ashamed, like, I'm so busy, we go, I'm so busy, making it sound like that's a really good thing. And God says, no, slow down. Slow down. Listen. Listen to God. Do we ever just listen to God in prayer? Do we ever just sit there and listen to God? I think oftentimes when we pray, and I am so guilty of this, this is convicting me as like, all right, here's my laundry list of things that I have, God, and the faster I get through them, the faster I can do the things that I need to do. Because I know I need to pray, but if I could really condense this prayer down to like 30 seconds, that's money because it gives me 30, you know, another time on the back end to do something I really need to do, which is like, and God's like, really? You need to do something more important than me than to listen to me? We need to slow down. We need to listen. 
We need to observe. We believe in the two sacraments of the church, Holy Communion and Baptism, but they're sacramental acts that happen all around us. God interacts with us. I said, for me, it's, it's sitting on my back porch. For some of you, it might be when you put your kids to bed and you just see them sleeping, and you go, God, thank you so much for being good to me. Some of you, it might be enjoying a really good meal. Like, I don't deserve this. Thank you so much. Observe that. So I want to challenge you to have dedicated times of slowing down and just praying and listening to God throughout the day. Make it, build it into your schedule. Just slow down. So that's the first thing. The second thing, the heart of worship rests in the relational security of God. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. We see this, this imagery of, of God, just his, his, his loving arms just coming around you. And rest, the word rest in here implies this continual abiding in the security, the secure relational relationship with God, the secure relational covering of God. It's not just enough that we abide in God's presence because things will suck us out of that presence really quick. Circumstances in our lives, things pop up. Life is dynamic. And all of a sudden, we, we find ourselves back in reality, and we're like, here we go. We must rest. We must continually abide in that presence. And as we entered into Camp Gannon, my reconnaissance platoon, we were ushered in to this bunker, and we had caused a great stir in the city of Nuseba. And rockets were being launched on this base because we had just we'd hit the hornet's nest. And we're receiving incoming rockets. And the Marines that we were with, who, who were in charge of the camp, started uh, responding with uh, mortar fire, 60-millimeter mortars. And so we were ushered into this bunker. And as we were ushered in that bunker and we felt the exchanges and the whole, whole ground was shaking, I had to continually tell myself, the Marines up top, they're going to take care of us because... We have a relationship because we're brothers. We're brothers in arms and they will risk their lives for me. And I had to keep telling myself. I had to rest in that. I had to continually abide in that truth. And much of our fear and anxiety has foundational roots in our relational insecurities. Yet we can rest and abide in a relational security with God because he has already proven that he would give his life for us through his son Jesus Christ so we can trust him and we are secure in that relational covering we don't need to be insecure and when we continually abide we're given a promise verse 5 says you will not fear the terror of the night nor the arrow that flies by day nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness nor the plague that was destroys at midday he says, if you rest, if you continually abide, you're not going to fear. You're not going to have anxiety. And this is a big, big promise. What does this mean for us? Because we do struggle with fear and anxiety. Does this mean there's something wrong with me? No. This doesn't mean that Christians will not experience 
evil, pain, and suffering or death. What it means is that evil, pain, suffering, or death will not have the last word. It means that those things that are the source of our fear and anxiety do not have ultimate power over us. That is good news. We might struggle with fear and anxiety because things happen in this world and it's a fallen world, but they don't have ultimate power over us. The fear and anxiety that you have in Christ does not have ultimate power over you. That is the truth. That is the promise of God. But this requires us to to have a different mindset, to to really focus on something. something. It requires us to rest in a cross-centered reality. Verse 14 says, Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him. For he acknowledges my name. He will call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show my salvation. This is an interesting portion of the scripture. This is an interesting portion of the scripture. This is the father speaking to the son, speaking of the son. Because he loves me. Because my son loves me, says the Lord. I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. Christ brings ultimate glory to the Father. He will call on me and I will answer him. I will answer him. I will will accept his sacrifice for the sin of the world. He will be resurrected. I will be with him in trouble. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Yet not my will, your will be done. It will deliver him and honor him. And this is the good news of the gospel here. You see, we are all sinners and we fall short of the glory of God and we deserve punishment. We deserve God's wrath. We deserve nothing good in and of ourselves. Yet God, compelled by his love, sends his one and only son who lives a perfect and righteous life. And he's nailed to a cross and he bears the wrath of the Father for us. And three days later, he's resurrected. When we put our faith and trust in him, the Father no longer sees us. He sees the Son. And so this becomes our promise. This becomes our reality. Because the Father sees the Son. This is a deep mystery. This is a deep truth that we must grasp onto. In Christ, his obedience becomes our reality. His death becomes the death of, once, of, of the person we once were. We're no longer the old person. We're a new creation. His resurrection becomes our resurrection to new life in him. And his exaltation becomes our exaltation. And we become co-heirs with him. Co-heirs with him. I don't even know what that means. It's so, such a grand truth. But God sees his son. When we place our faith in Him, we become co-heirs with Him. And in some wonderful, mystical way, our DNA becomes part of His. And we become part of His body. Literally become part of His body. And what does this mean? It means no matter what happens, we're going to persevere. Because we're in Christ. And the Father cannot deny the Son. And because we are in Christ, He cannot deny us. So no matter what, we are loved by the Father. Romans 8, 35 to 39 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Verse 37. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death 
nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ our Lord. I will not hold you back if you ever want to say amen on any of those things. So the question for us in a tangible way, a practical way, is what, what sort of grace has God given us so that we could continually rest and continually abide in Him? Like, what does He give us to assist us in this? Something tangible. And the number one grace in which God has given us to abide and rest in Him is the church. It's the church. It's the church that is the body of Christ forged at the work of the cross in Christ Jesus. I want you to look around. It's all right, look at each other's faces. Don't be afraid. We have good-looking people here, so we're, we're good. Get used to these people because you're going to see them forever in eternity. Get used to them. This is the biggest grace God has given you to abide in Him and rest in Him. As I lay laid in that, that bunker as we were getting shelled by enemy rockets, I was down there with my reconnaissance platoon. And we were smelly. It was gross. We had been on patrol for a week in the summer in Iraq. It was not, it was not a pleasant smell. And I'm sitting there, we're all on top of each other in this bunker getting just hammered and you feel the whole ground shake. But I knew I was going to be all right. Because I was with my buddies. I was with those that were on this journey with me. And no matter what happened, we were good. And for us as the church, we are part of his body. We have to embrace corporate life. I think that's something that is very hard for us, not only in our American context, but in our New England context. And being congregationalist is very hard for us at times. Because we're like, this is our church. Yeah, it's our church. It's our body. It's our, it's our corporate family that extends beyond time, space, and matter around the world. David prayed for it for those that are across the world that are, that are suffering in the name of Jesus Christ. They are part of our family too. Those that have gone before us and who will go after us are part of the body of Christ. This is a mystery that is unbelievable and unbelievable and just, we need to grasp onto. But we need to bind together. We need to embrace this corporate life. And one of the ways that we do this is we need to exercise this in small groups. If you're not in a small group, but that doesn't mean it has to be like a formal small group. I'm talking, if you're not meeting with other believers on a regular day and just confessing to one another, communing with one another outside of Sunday, you're not experiencing the grace of God that is the church. And so I encourage you to get involved in a small group. And if you don't know what that looks like and what that means, you need to come see me and you talk to Roselle Heckendorf, who's our small groups director. I don't say this because it's another program. I say this because this is a matter of you thriving or not. And to glorify God in that. So that's the second thing. Thirdly, a heart of worship trusts in the faithfulness of God. Verse 2 says, I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge. That word refuge is someone or something I turn to for assistance or security. He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. And let's just get honest here, guys. Let's just get honest. We have trust issues. We do. 
We have trust issues, and for good reason. We've been burned. People have let us down multiple times. We have a hard time trusting, and to think that does not have a direct impact on our relationship with God is not really being honest with ourselves. But you can't flourish from a place of mistrust. It's impossible. You cannot flourish from a place of mistrust. As I'm in that bunker, there's 18-year-old kids that are above me. And I thought I was a wise 27-year-old at the time. So, 18-year-old kids returning fire and protecting me. And I'll tell you, really, inside what I wanted to do was go, I need to go up there and show them how to do this. I'm not even a mortar person, a mortarman. I didn't even know how to do it, but I knew it better than them. Because there was this level of mistrust. Like, I have to take the bull by the horns. I am the expert on everything, and I got to go do this because I don't trust what's happening. And I had to tell myself, they know what they're doing. They know what they're doing and have trust in them. And we do the same thing with God many times in our lives. We say, God, you don't know what you're doing. And there's two elements that we must embrace when we think of trust, especially trust with God. Confidence in and reliance upon. Confidence in and reliance upon. And a heart of worship has complete confidence and reliance in God for everything. Everything. We read God as our refuge, our fortress, our shield, our rampart, and that he is faithful to us. Yet if we're honest with ourselves, our confidence is in our job in our family, in our reputation, in our marriage. And from the very beginning, from the very beginning that we are born, we are told that we are to count on no one except ourselves. We, we, we pride people who pulled themselves up by their own bootstraps and were self-made men or women. Depend on no one except yourself. We have placed our confidence in things that were never designed to bear the weight of the reality of life. You, you, you place your confidence in your marriage, and then something in your marriage is not going well. All of a sudden, life is shattered. You trust nothing. Because you put confidence in something that was not meant to bear the weight of that, or your job, and then all of a sudden you're like, I just got fired, I have to switch jobs. And you have an identity crisis, because... It was never meant to bear the weight of that. Or your kids, and your kids mess up in life. Kids just mess up, and they do some things. You did some things. And we go, oh, my whole life is shattered because my kids are messed up right now. But they were never meant to bear the weight of that. They are finite, and we are finite. And we're limited, and they're limited. And those things are limited. Yet our God is infinite. And he is faithful when we are not. We see this. The cross is the biggest signpost to his unyielding faithfulness to us. So we can trust him. We can trust God with everything. He's never let us down, even in the worst of times. I want you to think back about the times in your life. And you go, that was really horrible and I never want to go through that again. But God was there. The fact that you're sitting here and you're breathing. He is here. He is, his grace is being poured upon you. And you have, have trust. You could have trust. In, and even when we can't explain it, we have trust in him. And there's a lot of things we can't explain, folks. We just can't. 
Listen, I use this term all the time. You're going to hear it throughout the years. I can't even explain calculus. How am I going to explain the infinite God of the universe? I don't know. I can't. Not everything. Just what he reveals in his words. Through his spirit. But I trust. And, I, and when I can't trust, I pray. I do believe, but help me overcome my own belief. I do trust, but help me overcome my untrust, untrusting nature at this time, God. So the question is, is do we trust him or, or do we or do we not? Do we trust him to, enough to take risks in our life? When you call upon him, do you expect him to show up or do you have a backup plan? Some of us, we have a backup plan, right? We go, I trust you, God. I trust you for everything. And I pray and I say, God, show up. But just in case you're on vacation, because it is summertime in Massachusetts, so you might be on vacation. You might be on the same season as we are. So I'm going to have this set up, ready to go, just in case you don't show up. So is that really trust? I'm not saying disengage your mind and your thoughts, but do we really trust when we do that, when we put fail safes there? Do we trust him enough that we could just give him our anxiety and those things that have a fearful grip on us? Do we trust him enough to just hand it over to him, whatever he wills? Whatever he wills. As I was laying in that bunker with all my smelly buddies, feeling the ground shake, I had the best night of sleep. The best night of sleep. Because I knew I had found refuge. I knew it. And this time tomorrow, life is going to continue. And you're going to, you're going to feel that sense of insecurity, that, that, that fearful anxiety because of whatever's happening in your life. We need to inhabit that sacred space. We need to come alongside one another and trust in our cross-centered refuge. And I don't want to just talk about it. I want to practice this right now. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask Mandy to go ahead and play some music. And what I want you to do is the music is playing. I just want you to listen to God. Slow everything down. Listen. Just listen to God. And if there's something on your heart, fear or anxiety, I just want you to give it to Him. And if you're sitting next to someone and you feel this prompting that you need to pray for the person next to you or in front of you, don't say anything. Just grab onto their hands or their shoulder so they know that you're praying for them. So let us spend time and dwell and inhabit the sacred shelter at this moment. <laughs> 